Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. We started in week one talking a little bit about single people. How many were there for week one? The second week, we spoke about sex. You guys can find this in the podcast, God's way of sex, because sex is not bad. It's, it's amazing, right? It's good because God created it, and everything that God creates is what? It's amazing. And then last week, we started speaking about married couples, a little bit about marriage. And Carly's going to continue today, so I want you to welcome her with a huge round of applause. The most beautiful woman alive. Oh, thank you. Thank you, honey. <laughs> How many of you are blessed tonight? I love this. Amen. I've loved this whole relationship series. It's been such a blessing. I, I just love talking about relationships, about family, because it's an important part of our lives. How many of you say amen? And as PJ was saying, you know, we've been speaking about sex. We've been speaking to the singles. Today, I want to talk a little bit about marriage. How many of us intend on getting married one day? Oh, I'm scared. I'm preaching to the wrong people. (laughs) I think most of us, maybe even if we're not ready right now or we're young, I think that most of us, right, if not all of us, desire to one day be married. And I'm thankful because in this ministry, I'm so thankful for, you know, our apostles. I remember being a young girl. I remember when I first came to Christ again, second time around, never leave. (laughs) That's another preaching. Um, When I came the second time around, I was, must have been 17 years old. And, you know, just hearing our apostles talk about marriage and what an example they were, even though I didn't even think I would get married Anytime soon, which God had other plans, we've told you guys, I got married maybe a year later uh, to this lovely man sitting in the first row. Just hearing them speak about marriage, I would just absorb. It, it was, I desired to be married because they just were so loving towards each other. It was so much wisdom in their words that I would, remember I would just suck all of this up and I knew that I would be able to apply it one day. So today I want to talk a little bit about marriage, 10 principles, 10 things that have helped us in our marriage. And how many of you know that a strong, you have to maintain a strong relationship. When I first got married, I remember that I walked into marriage thinking that I knew it all. I really did. I had all these principles, everything I had heard the apostles say, you know, for so long. And I remember when I was on that altar, I've told Jonathan this. I remember the apostle gave us a little tip, a little word of advice. And it was, you know, he he married us and he told us, never let the sun go down on your wrath. And I remember thinking, that's it? I remember, that's so easy in that moment. But through time, In these 11 years of marriage, I've learned that a good marriage doesn't just happen by chance. It just doesn't. It's edified, and it's edified brick by brick. And even after 11 years, we're still edifying our marriage. And Pastor Jonathan and I, those who know us well, we are so different. We're so different. And I remember in the beginning of our marriage, we were so different that I would want to, I would tell God, God, 
change all these areas about him to be more like I am. And I can imagine that he thought maybe the same thing because I'm so different. There's so many things that we've had to adjust, but we've learned to embrace each other. And I think that that's an important part of marriage, embrace each other after these uh, 11 years. So one should always aim to strengthen their marriages by fighting for them. God has called us to fight for our families, to fight for our marriages. We're not people who throw in the towel easily, but God has called us to fight for our marriage. And in the midst of rapid pace and chaos in our lives, we often leave our marriage relationships aside while other things, other things like what? Like when we have children, when children come along, work, homework, school maybe, take precedence instead. Marriage is a lifelong adventure full of triumphs and challenges, and all married couples will experience different seasons of this in married life. I'm not the only one saying this. The Bible tells us so. If you can accompany me in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, if you guys can help me, the Word of God says, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. Tough times are going to come sometimes with Jonathan. We've faced our share of adversity. But I've learned through time that even, as the Bible says, what was meant for our harm, God can turn for our good when God is the center of our marriage. When God is the center and when our marriage is a priority, not when it's in the back burner and everything else is first place. No, our marriage is important. Marriage's family is worth fighting for. Author James Thurber wrote, love is what you have experienced and lived with a person. A lot of times we hear love at first sight. No, I can tell you after being 11, married 11 years, love is between us is what we've experienced together. The fun times, the exciting times, the joyful times, even the times that were, you know, painful moments, that's what's deepened our relationship with one another. As paraphrased in the message in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, has not the one God made you you belong to him in body and spirit. And what does one seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. And this is what I want to talk to you tonight. So be on guard and be faithful to the wife of your youth. In marriage, you have to constantly be on your guard to protect your marriage, to build your marriage. The spirit of God dwells even in the smallest details of marriage. God is in every single detail of our marriage. So what can we do to watch over the purpose of protecting our marriage? Our marriage constantly has to be watched. And like I said, sometimes it's so difficult. We're pastors. We have Luca. I was going to say we have children. It's, he's like two or three. Um, we have Luca. We have all these you know, responsibilities sometimes, but we have to be on guard to protect our marriage. I want to tell you it's possible to be happy and desire to be married even after 12 years of marriage, even after 20-something years of marriage. It's possible to be able to go home and just want to be with that person, want to greet that person, but 
there's principles that we have to apply. We have to be diligent even in our marriage because sometimes we talk about being diligent in our profession and you know when we're young we date but when we're married we have to put in I think even more that effort to be that strong unit. How many of you say amen? My first point is value your marriage. You will never protect something that you don't value. You're never going to protect something if it's not something that you value. Some of us here are married. Take a few minutes to consider what you like as well as what you value about your relationship. And I wrote a few points. Some of the ways that I can show the other person that I value our marriage. Have fun and laugh together. Laugh together. And those are things that you guys will realize even when you have kids, that your kids can see that even after 11 years of marriage, you guys still laugh together. You guys still desire to be together. Do more things together than independent. It's a problem when in marriage, the only thing that person wants to do is be alone. You should do more things together. And don't get me wrong. I know that maybe both people work, you know, separately and we have all these responsibilities, but you should desire to do more things with your spouse than alone when you value your marriage. Share a spiritual relationship. Pray together. There's power when you come together and you pray when you're dating when you're engaged, even when you're married together, when you have that spiritual time as a family to pray for your goals, to pray for your needs. How many of you say amen? When you can share with your spouse, who's in my case, a man of God, when I have a need, I go to my spouse when I'm feeling a certain way and he encourages me and we pray together. I don't have, you know, just words from a friend. No, I have my, my spouse, you know, speaking words of encouragement onto me. Raising your children together celebrating together, creating memories together, sharing the deeper levels of intimacy together, enjoying intimacy and sex. We spoke a little bit about sex. Sex is important in marriage. Whoever says that sex in marriage is not important is, is a liar because they really are. It really is an important aspect. God created it for a purpose. And the purpose is not just to procreate and have kids, but so that we can enjoy together. And it's a time, it's an intimate time where we come together. How many of you say amen for those who are married? <laughs> Serving each other. Sometimes we have the expectation we come into marriage and we just, we want to be just fed grapes and like fans, right? <laughs> Feed me grapes. No, serving each other. Waking up one day and just saying, what can I do for you? And sometimes we don't even notice, but we get so caught up in all our responsibilities that sometimes we forget that the person we love most, when was the last time I went out of my way to serve this person? Share the adventure of riding the roller coaster of life together. Point number two is having a deep conviction that divorce is not an option. This is really important. When we first got married, I think we laid down this foundation before we even before we even got married, but we always, it was always very clear to us, and not just we thought, no, we, we spoke about this. The word divorce is never even mentioned in our home. When that word starts being, you know, thrown out, no, divorce is not an option. We've removed the word divorce completely from our vocabulary when we speak about 
our relationship. The word decide comes from a root meaning to cut. You cannot make a commitment to something without deciding to cut other competing options against what is the most important. What should our decision be? I'm committed to doing everything necessary to make this relationship work. When we have divorce in the back of our head as an option, we're not going to fight to do everything necessary to make the relationship work. We know that the word of God says, you know, what I've joined together, what I brought together, what does it say? That no man separate. Divorce is not an option. Before, if we're having problems in this area of our lives, I'm going to do everything necessary. I'm going to pray. We're going to come together, but it's, it's not an option. Point number three, stay alert. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, clarifies that we have an enemy who works against marriage to destroy it. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, is after you like a roaring lion, seeking whom to devour. We have to protect our marriage against any attack. We always have to be alert. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit after this, but it also says that the enemy came to rob. You know, the thief, in most cases, isn't obvious, right? It's very subtle. It's very sneaky. We have to be alert and always vigilant about the state of our marriage. Sometimes even when we get caught up, and especially as, you know, the husband, you, you have to be vigilant about how is my marriage doing? Are things flowing? Are we spending time together? You know, one of the things that's really important to us, and I know that we hear about this all the time, is date night, especially once you have children. It's so important to be able to take time to just be able to go and talk and reconnect. And we need to invest. It's important to invest time into your marriage. And you have to stay alert for any attack, maybe anything that's coming to cause disconnection or discommunication. It's important to always stay alert. Point number four, look carefully. Take note of the status of your marriage. It's so easy for couples to get so busy that they forget to observe the health of their marriage. Proverbs 27, verse 23, exhorts us, make sure you know the state of your sheep and look carefully for your flock. You have to take time to know your spouse because sometimes we think we know, but we really don't. How many times have we heard... I think I've thrown this out there sometimes. I'm like, after 11 years, I would think you would know. <laughs> Till the day of today, I'm constantly getting to know my husband. And not only because maybe there's things that I didn't know, but I think that even after time, when you've been together so many years, I think that you also constantly, you're evolving, you're growing. It's important to constantly speak have that communication get to know him sometimes we think we know but we don't or we think that our spouse likes the same things that we like and how many of you know that that's not true it's really not true and one of the greatest examples of this how many of you have read the five languages of love anybody okay i see a few hands it's such a blessing in this book. Gary Chapman is the author. You know, he talks about the five languages of love. And what are the five languages of love? There's words of affirmation. There's quality time. There's receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. People feel loved 
through different areas and different ways. The things that make me feel loved are not the same things that make Jonathan feel loved. And I'll give you the best examples of this. I gave you the five languages of love. For Jonathan, what are his two love languages? I would say it's, <laughs> I better get these right. <laughs> I would say that this is true for many men. Words of affirmation. It's important for men to feel admiration from their spouse, to feel that support, to feel that, you know, you're like their, this is a bad example, not their cheerleader, but that I'm constantly cheering him on. You know, it's important for men, maybe not so much for women, but I know that for him, it would be words of affirmation, physical touch. <laughs> for men, I would say physical touch and words of affirmation, even a caress on a stressful day, a little rub, a little massage. I don't need a massage. It's just, it's not my love language. I don't need a little massage. I'd probably love a cooked meal. That's the way that I feel loved. Now, he says that the five different love languages, that I'm all five. But I'm actually not all five. I'm going to tell you, for me, it would be receiving gifts. I love gifts. They just make me feel, even out of the blue, not even on my birthday, not Christmas, gifts. They, it just makes me feel loved. And I would say quality time. I would say that's true for most women, you know, the quality time. And that's why I see sometimes so much conflict within marriage because people are expecting to receive. The other person is completely different. Amen? Five languages of love. Oh, I think a lot of people, most of you are going to be buying this book on Amazon tonight. But it's important to get to know what's important for the other person. How does the other person feel loved? I've had to, and I have to tell you, I didn't write this here, but there are things that for Jonathan are very important that they might not be so important for me. And I've had to adjust certain things. I hear a lot of people saying, I'm not going to change. And it's not about changing, but there are certain things that I've had to accommodate in my life. There's certain things that he has, because that's what marriage is, sacrificing things for one another. Not looking for your own personal gain, but it's, you know, what can I do to make this person happy? And he was talking a little bit. That's one of the, the biggest problems that we see in marriages. We go into marriage thinking, what can I receive? And we don't want to surrender. We don't want to give in. There are certain things that you have to give in. In marriage, you do. I want to tell you, that's one of the major keys to marriage. There's certain things you have to give in. For Jonathan, he is very, or I'm very organized in some areas of my life. For some things, things that are, you know, aesthetic, and, but he's very, the time factor was such an issue, and this is serious, it was such an issue in our marriage, for, I, I'm going to say many years time. I was always running. I would run on Cuban time. And Jonathan, if we need to go someplace and we need to be there at eight o'clock, getting there at eight o'clock for Jonathan is late. That's late. Getting there on time is late for him. He has to be there 15 minutes earlier and that's on time. And that was an area of my life that 
God has worked with me. God has worked with me because I really struggled with this, and it would cause a lot of problems. And it would it would make him unhappy. It was a part of him that he would. It was an area of my life that I've had to adapt to see him happy because I could tell that this would make him suffer and it would cause problems. And this is for us. It might seem insignificant, a time issue, but it was an area of my life that I had to surrender. I had to give in and for a lot of time i was kind of defensive about it i'm like well this is me that's you you can get there 15 minutes later god is working with me i noticed that even after that eight o'clock meeting it was something that would still affect him it would even sadden him because it was important to him it wasn't important to me maybe but it was important to him and therefore i came to the realization if it's important it should be important for me too. And it was an area of my life that I had to give in, that God had to work with me for the peace in our, <laughs> in our household. Know your spouse. Point number five, invest regularly in your marriage. A good marriage is for two people making sacrifices for their relationship every day. When? Every day, not just sometimes, every day. You can't control what your spouse does or stops doing. You can only control your own decisions, what you do. And when we live in marriage constantly, you know, thinking, is the other person going to maybe do this for me or not? We become vulnerable. We do. We become vulnerable. We give way to disappointment because we're constant. We have all these expectations. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have expectations because I sure have I have expectations, but you can't live in marriage constantly thinking, what sacrifices is this person going to make for me? No, you can only control your own decisions. According to a study by psychologists at UCLA, couples in which both people were willing to make sacrifices for the sake of marriage were significantly more likely to be happy and have durable marriages. This is proven. John chapter 15, verse 13 no one has greater love than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. We make sacrifices every day for the sake of your marriage. And even in the little things, you know, if I can do anything to help my spouse out. And a sacrifice is what? Something that doesn't come easy, right? That's what a sacrifice is. There are moments in maybe our marriage where I'm tired. I want to do different things. There have been moments where maybe we're tired and I've seen my husband make sacrifices so that I have a lighter load that day. And that's what makes your marriage strong too. When one another, you know, you help out each other. You come together. You sacrifice in marriage. Point number six, protect your marriage. What can we do to protect your marriage? Part of the oath of alliance that is taken by all immigrants who wish to become U.S. citizens is what? I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and national. So how can we protect our marriage from those who could potentially be foreign invaders? I want to talk a little bit about this. Friends from the opposite sex. This is something that we have to be really careful with when you're married. You know, I say this all the time, and maybe this seems radical. I don't call another man on the phone. I don't text other men because the only man that is my friend is my spouse. 
And these are things that when you're married, you really have to protect. That's what I wrote here against foreign invaders. When we work maybe somewhere else, we don't work with our spouse. You have to be really careful when it comes to friends of the opposite sex. And it sounds really radical, but you don't know how many counseling sessions we've had of marriages, relationships, where one person started becoming friends with a person of the opposite sex, that started into texting, talking on the phone, and it led into much more. It led into infidelity. You have to be vigilant about foreign invaders in your marriage. Your best friend should always be your spouse. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have, I have girlfriends, but men, there isn't another man in my life that I text or that I call or that I tell, you know, this is how my day went, God forbid. But we don't keep anything, we don't keep anything from each other. We don't. We always tell the youth, I know his passcode, he knows my passcode, I don't have, we don't have anything to hide from one another. And that doesn't mean that I'm constantly, that I grab my husband's phone. No, I don't. I, I live my life in peace. I really do. I live in peace. I don't live my life in fear. But we have nothing to hide. We're transparent. It gives the other person security. Your spouse should be your best friend. What about domestic threats? Protecting our marriage from domestic threats. It could be maybe either work, burnout, or unhealthy conflicts interfering in your marriage. And, you know, work, sometimes we work so much. Domestic threats. There was a while where, I don't know, it was like two months where we were so busy. And I remember it would be so late and I would like oh, my love language, quality time. I remember that I would like demand quality time. I remember one day he told me, oh, but we have our day off on Tuesday. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to wait until Tuesday to have some quality time with you. <laughs> to have some quality time with you because for me, it's that quality time is important. Don't let work interfere with your marriage. We have moments where every day, even when we put Luca to bed at eight o'clock and that's our time to reconnect during the day. That's our time where we talk with one another. We about how's our day? What are you going to do tomorrow? We plan for the week and not even talking. Sometimes we just have a good time together. We have fun together. We laugh together. We'll watch a movie together, but we don't wait a week to spend time together. It's important because if we let time and time and time pass, we, we don't reconnect. It's important to spend time together. Thousands of years ago, King Solomon warned of the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, okay? And these aren't literally little foxes pouncing around. Take the foxes. This is in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Take the foxes, those little foxes that ruin our vineyards, our vineyards, in bloom. And usually it's the little things that creep into your marriage that damage your marriage. Because sometimes we think it's like these huge, huge problems or something so big. But sometimes it's little, as we were reading in this verse, the little tiny foxes that ruin the vineyard. Sometimes it's little tiny details in marriage that can become a really big problem. I wrote, with this in mind, we cannot sweep problems under the relational rug. We can't. You have to tackle the situation 
right then and there. Keep accounts short and do not let resentment or bitterness take root in your marriage. That's so important. Dealing with small conflicts, hurts, and frustrations before they become a major problem. And this is what I was telling you guys. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In our marriage, you know, whenever we have a frustration, whenever we have a problem, we tackle it right then and there. I'm not going to say within the first few minutes. I'm the type of person that I need to cool down a little bit, right? I need to cool down. I need to go upstairs. I need to, you know, I need my time to just cool down. But we never go to bed angry with each other. First of all, at least for me, it's difficult. I go to bed and I feel like my heart is just uneasy. And how many times do we not have all these frustrations at this bitterness? And it just, if we don't speak about them, it just builds up. It builds up. It builds up until it's like such a huge thing. It's like so many problems that have been unresolved. And how many times have we not heard people say, are you still talking about that from 1998? Right? And it was problems that we didn't come into an agreement. We didn't tackle this. It was unresolved. And sometimes we talk about it, but as a couple, we don't come to one accord. You know what I mean? And, and it's important to be able to, you know, ask for forgiveness. And there are many times where, there are many times where maybe I felt like I wasn't wrong and I didn't need to ask for forgiveness. And the apostle talks about this a lot. You have to give in in marriage. You do. Hay que ceder. You have to meet halfway. You can't expect for the other person to always give in and you're always right. No, you have to tackle the situations and never let bitterness take place in your heart. Point number eight. Remember the good times in your marriage. Remember the good times and all the good things you've experienced together. When you're going through difficult times, It can be really, really easy to forget those good times, right? We've had so many good times together, and then we go through one obstacle, and we're in this really bad time, and it's so easy to forget all the amazing good times that we've lived in our marriage. And that was something that really helped us to maintain and have a positive attitude even about marriage when we've hurdled difficult times and we've had to we've had our share of adversity you know after four years of marriage I tell people it was like we experienced the Job trial you know I call it the Job trial because it was like they were just pulling the rug from underneath us it was like one thing after the other you know financially we lost our home I lost you know my health and not just my health I was in debilitating pain Every single day, it affected me emotionally. Doctors told me we wanted to procreate. Doctors told us you can't have kids. I felt like barren in like every area of my life. It was so difficult. But for us, even in that really difficult season and those bad times, we always remembered all the amazing times that we had together. Those three years where we've always encouraged each other, where we've always supported one another. Even when you face one adversity, we can't throw in the towel or quit. We're not people who run. 
No, we're godly people. Even when we face adversity, we speak the word of God onto our challenges. If we're sick, you know, I would say, God, you know, you are the one that restores my health. By your stripes, we are healed, God, financially. And together, speaking the word of God and confronting the situation, that was what would encourage us together. And that was what would give us hope, not just turning back and falling apart amidst all the, the difficult times. And we read, sometimes we will go through difficult times, but God says that greater is he who is in you than in the world. God is greater. And together, you overcome these things together. I tell people, if I wouldn't have married a godly man, and I would have experienced all these things with a man who didn't love, I don't think I would have still been married. I don't. It's, that's why it's so important to marry a godly woman, marry a godly man. I remember when I so many times wanted to throw in the towel, not, not maybe in my marriage, but in my personal life, I remember he was always there. He would build me up with a word of encouragement, with a word in the Bible. We would pray together. Point number nine is carry out a shared dream. God has called us to dream as individuals, but once we get married, God has called us to dream together, to carry out a dream together. The French poet Antoine de Saint-Exupéry describes love in the following way. Love is not just looking at each other. It is looking together in the same direction. It's looking together in the same direction. And as described in Genesis, for this man leaves his father and his mother and unites himself to his wife and the two fuse into one being. God unites couples to do together what they could never do on their own. We dream together. We have aspirations. We have goals. And it's so important that even if maybe we have different careers, that we dream together. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to spend time and plan together. We have our dreams. We have our goals that we have. And we just, we have our dreams as a family. And these dreams can be maybe for a home that we aspire. You know, those goals are important, but God also gives us a greater vision. We have godly dreams. How does God want to use us as a couple for his glory? What are the areas? What can we do together to serve the ministry? What area? How can we serve together? And you know what? That brings unity in our marriage, when we sit down and when we plan, we dream, what can we do to further the kingdom together? What can we do to sow here, to make an impact? Dream together. Finding a cause that you and your spouse are passionate about and something that benefits others and surrendering to it. My last point is don't do it alone. You know, God intended for us to do life together and sometimes when we've been in church for so long maybe in the case that we're leaders we feel like we have to maintain a certain type of image right or we can't show weakness in an area but god didn't call us to do it alone whenever we need help or we're going through something that we can be open to say hey you know what we're struggling in this area and seek help seek help there have been many times where we've had, I'm not going to say many times, but maybe two occasions where we were going through something and we needed to seek help. We needed to seek help from our apostles. We needed to seek advice. We can pray. 
we've overcome certain differences or certain things together as a couple. But when we see that maybe something is not being resolved, it's starting to affect the relationship, there is nothing wrong with seeking help. There is nothing wrong with coming to your leader. There's nothing wrong as pastors. That's what we're here for. We're here to listen to you. We're here to be there for you, to give you a godly word. Never think that you have to do it alone. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of trouble. These are, I'm wrapping up. These are my points. Uh, These are things, areas, points that have really blessed my relationship with Jonathan. I know Jonathan is going to speak a little bit about finances now. As we were saying, a good marriage is built. And I encourage you with this. Sometimes we've come from homes where we haven't seen maybe a good example. It's possible after 20 years, 30 years, to be happy in your marriage and still be in love. But if I can tell you something, you have to edify your marriage. You have to sow. You reap if you what? If you sow continuously. And the word of God says that it's better to give than to receive. You know, we were speaking a little bit about marriages in Joanna's radio show on CVC levels. <laughs> and I remember we were doing like this little, it was like a one-minute video, and she said, one tip that you have on marriage. And the best tip that I can give is it's better to give than to receive. It's better to always give, even in our marriage. And I always hear our Apostle Estela, she always says, amor, she says this in Spanish, amor empieza con de, de dar. Love starts, I'm going to say it in English, love starts with G, forgiving. That's what love starts with. And sometimes we go into it expecting, what can I receive? We receive when we give. That's my word for today. That was my advice. Let's welcome Pastor Jonathan. He's going to be sharing a little bit. You know what? I'm going to ask you if you don't mind giving the points again, because I know some of people were taking notes. And if you don't mind giving the uh, one through ten, so everybody could write down. Right, have you guys been blessed? Yeah. Number one would be value your marriage. Number two, have a deep conviction that divorce is not an option. Number three, stay alert. Number four, look carefully. Number five, invest regularly in your marriage. Six, protect your marriage. Number seven, protect your marriage from foreign and domestic threats. Point number eight, remember the good times in your marriage. Number nine, carry out a shared dream, dream together. And number 10, do not do it alone. Amen. Let's give her a big round of applause. Half of us are married. There's a lot of single people also here. Uh, Whether knowingly or not, we made a covenant before God when we got married. And one of the things that we said and we made a covenant for is for richer or poorer. Sometimes it's hard to abide by the poorer side. We know that God's promises for our lives is of prosperity. How many say amen? 
And nobody gets married saying, well, my goal in life, in this marriage, in this unit, and this family I'm starting is to be poor all my life. Nobody does that. But sometimes life takes you through moments that test your faith. How many say amen? And Carly shared a little bit about some of the things that we went through right off the bat. She said in year four, I think it, was, it started even before that, probably year three. In our third year of marriage, we first two years were glorious. It was like our honeymoon. We had no kids back then, right? We just had a little Yorkie champ, rest in peace. <laughs> he, he was like our little, little baby, and we had a great time, and then things just started falling apart while we were serving God the most. That's where sometimes you're confronted with this. You're like, okay, but I'm serving God, but I'm tithing, but I'm, I'm coming to church, and what's going on? When I didn't used to go to church, things were going better. And now that I'm going to church, and we don't understand that sometimes God tests us. Amen? And that testing doesn't just come in the area of health or in the area of adversity. Sometimes it comes in the area of finances as well. We get our finances, our personal finances get tested. So God's teaching with respect to money help us avoid and in some instances overcome difficulties that can take place over the course of a marriage. So I want to talk to you about a few things. Write this down really quick. The goal of a marriage is not an accumulation of things. We don't get married to see how many things we could accumulate. Because it'd be sad at the end of the day, every person that is born eventually dies. And the things that you accumulated pass on to other generations and you don't get to take anything else. But it's a lot deeper than that. The goal of the couple is to build strong team relationship and to seek God first. That should be the first goal of every marriage. Let's seek God so we could get his perspective in what he wants us to do as a couple. And we talked about this. Remember last week, I believe it was, God created an ideal person, right? Ajuda idonia, the person that's going to compliment me. He created her for me, in my case, created Carly, so that now both of us, we could accomplish the purpose that God had given. Remember we talked about Adam, that before God gave Adam a wife, he gave him a what? A calling. He gave Adam a calling. He said, look, go name all the species, take care of the garden. So first he gave him the calling, but he would never be able to do the calling by himself. He needed his helpmate. And we talked a little bit about that. So understand that the most important goal for the couple is to build a strong team relationship and seek God first. Once you get married, you're no longer two individuals. In God's eyes, you are one unit. So why should your money be separate? Let me start by there. A lot of people say, well, he's not good with money, and she is, and he's going to deposit his paycheck and pay for his things there, and I'm going to deposit. No, if it's one unit, and God sees it as one unit, you should be one unit in everything and put your money. And I know some financial advisors say things that are contrary to this, but if you want things to prosper, and if you want your money to prosper, let's do things God's way, right? So why would we put our money separate? Talking about your finances, and making financial plans together will help you achieve that oneness that God desires couples to experience. And I think uh, we're going to get to that, but it's so important for both people in the couple. There's always one that's more in tune with the money, and there's usually one person that does the budgeting. And for example, in, in our case, it's me because I'm, I was wired to think in numbers. I mean, from the moment I was born, I see Luca now. Luca loves numbers. And I'm like, he must get it from his dad. And it's funny how they're so little and they're already, he's thinking and he's counting everything. And he's, he got some Hot Wheels yesterday because today's his birthday. He turned four today. We celebrated his birthday yesterday. So he got a lot of gifts and he got the, all these 
I spent two hours yesterday building him a Hot Wheels racetrack. So it came with like 10 cars and he was like, one, two, three, and, and he lost the count. And there's always one person in the marriage that always, you know, is more prone to money and that's God's design, right? That's God's design. There, if you look at marriages, there's always one person that's good with money, at least one, right? If there would be none, it would be terrible, It'd be crazy. But there's always one person that is good with money. That's part of that oneness, right? That helped me, that God created. So it's good that every single couple would talk about things that have to do with money. Even the people that are not good with money, that don't want anything to do with balancing the checkbook and any of that technical stuff. But you need to know what are your financial goals. You need to sit down and talk the same way you talk to plan about when to have children and how many you're going to have and what house you're going to buy and all that stuff. You need to talk about financial situations. It's important. Amen. And Jesus warned about this. And I want to share with you the word of God. Jesus warned about the desire to accumulate things and worry over money. Don't raise your hand now, but how often do you worry about money? And I'm not just talking to married couples. Even as a single person, how often do you worry about money? About your money now? About your money tomorrow? About what your tomorrow is going to be like? Think about that as we read this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 because God's going to hit it right on the nail. Matthew 6, verse 25, and we're going to read all the way to 34. It says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Right there, in black and white, God is saying, don't worry about your life. There's no need to. What are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? Nor about your body. What will you put on, like your clothes and stuff? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he points your attention to two different things. And this is the first one. It says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, nor do they reap. You've never seen a bird sow a seed and wait for the plant to come out so they could eat the... You've never seen that, right? They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather in barns. They don't have savings account or anything like that. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't worry about what they're going to do. You see them at 6 o'clock. They gather in some intersections and it's like a bunch of them on the power lines. And, and they're just singing and praising God. And my son loves to hear them. And I open my sunroof so he can listen to them. And, and they're just worshiping God. They know that God will provide for them. So God is saying, look at them. Look, they don't worry about anything. And then he says, are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? What is worrying going to help you do? Is it going to help you get to your goal faster? No, it's probably going to help you die faster because worrying produces stress and stress has all these repercussions and whatnot. So God says, do not worry about life. And 28 says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. That's the second thing he wants us to focus on. The lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil, they don't spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, which is the most powerful and prosperous man that ever lived and will ever live in this earth, not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed or arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? He tackles a problem here. And what's the problem? Faith. It's a faith problem. We worry because we don't believe that God's going to provide. Yet birds don't worry. And the lilies of the fields don't worry. Therefore, do not worry, he says once again in verse 31. 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what's going to happen in my future? Or who am I going to marry? Or am I going to have money enough? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Gentiles are those who do not know God. For the heavenly father or your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Come on, tell the person closest to you, tell them God knows what you need. He knows it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Popular verse that we use a lot here in JTP. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. You know, if there's one piece of advice I could give you guys today, whether financial or just in general, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. You got enough stuff to worry about today. Then go into tomorrow, Monday, and have to worry about tomorrow. You know, worry today about today. Tomorrow will be another day. And God will have provision for you tomorrow. How many say amen? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So if you think about it, we don't own anything that we have here on earth. We're more like renters, am I right? I lease my car, and every three years, the lease is up. I have to change it. I have to turn in my car. I have to take out a new one. Here, I live for 80 years or so. I make some money. I buy a few things. But when it's time to go, you got to turn that stuff back in and go just where you came from. You go back to the dust, as the Bible says. You're going to be buried naked. Or, you know, they probably clothed you, but you're not going to take the clothes to heaven. So just as you came to this world, you're going to leave. So God is saying, be smart about this. We're, we're just renters here. Be a good administrator. Be a good steward. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. How's that for perspective? So how we faithfully manage what God has given us will determine whether he will give us greater things to manage. You guys remember that parable, right? He said, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You have been faithful over, come on, help me out here, JTP Church. Faithful over a little. Then if I'm faithful over a little, I will set you over much. A lot of people want to get to much. Oh, God, do this. Are you being faithful over the little? If I'm faithful in the little, God will help me. So the biblical concept of stewardship begins with understanding that we will be judged by how well we take care of our resources. And I'm not talking about resources, just financial resources. I'm talking about the people in our lives, relationships. How am I treating my spouse? How am I treating my family? How am I treating my husband? How am I treating my wife? I want to share with you three practical points to finish up that have to do with finances that I hope will help some of you guys. Number one, everybody say prevention. Financially speaking, all right? These have to do with finances. Prevention. Think ahead to avoid problems. Sometimes people, they talk about everything. They talk about their dream vacations. Oh, I want to go to Bora Bora. And I want to stay a whole week on an overwater bungalow. <laughs> and I want to do this. And I want to do that. And they talk about a lot of things. But they never talk about money. You don't plan. And here, it's important to think ahead because if you think ahead, you avoid problems. And I'm going to prove it to you. Luke 14, 28. Jesus said this. Luke 14, 28. Jesus said, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? So Jesus himself is saying, Look, if you're going to build a house... 
You got to be dumb not to first sit down and say, okay, let me see if I have enough. Am I going to have enough? I have to build the foundation. Then I'm going to have to build the walls. I have to, you know, I have to do the, the nice marble countertops. And I have to do this. And, and, then the, and you sit down and calculate everything. So if we're building something financially in the couple, we have to sit down and talk, think ahead to avoid problems. What are we budgeting for? What are our goals? Short-term, long-term, what are we going for? And how much money do we need? Do we want to buy a house? What is that going to take? Okay, how much are we going to have to separate for down payment? How much do we have to give for closing costs? How much are we going to get an FHA loan? Are we going to do this? You know, you start talking about things and then you start educating yourself and then you have a goal that you're shooting for. Now, I believe that God could do above and beyond what you can plan. I'm not saying that you're going to limit God, right? Because God could just go ahead and, and surprise you and have somebody give you the keys to a brand new house. God could do it. I mean, I serve a big God. I don't know about you guys. I believe that, and I'm actually expecting that. You like that, right? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to get, I was going to get an amen for that. But yeah, we believe God. So God can go above and beyond what we plan. But it's important, like Jesus said here, to be preventive. Think ahead to avoid problems. Sometimes we don't give too much thought to planning until you're so deep in debt that it seems almost impossible to get out. It's like you're, you feel like Joseph in that pit, right? But that's not planning. That's reacting. Some people start planning and start, or start talking about their finances when they're already in a hole. How do I get out? But you be preventive about that. Before I get myself in a situation like that, let's, let's be smart with the money. Couples should write down their goals, their objectives, have a balanced budget, and review these goals and objectives every year. The first goal on that list should be avoid financial bondage. And this may help some current couples right now and also help some people that are still not married, probably, but you're thinking about getting married in the next coming years. Avoid financial bondage by staying out of debt. The Bible says that debt is an enemy, right? The person that's in debt is slave to who you owe. It says it in the Bible. And commit to paying off existing debt if you're already a couple and you have debt. This doesn't mean a couple should not borrow money because sometimes borrowing money makes sense. If you're going to borrow money for a home, that's going to make sense. Why? Because it's more expensive here to rent than to own. If you own, your mortgage is less, even with taxes and insurance and all your escrow. It's more expensive to rent than to pay your mortgage with all those things. Now, you do need to sacrifice. You need to come out with a lump sum of money. You need to save. You need to discipline yourself. But it's better. And number two, properties appreciate. If you spend a lot of money because you like cars, the friend of mine, and this guy was always, every time he would come to church, he would always bring a new car. And his thing was cars. And the other day, a few months ago, we were talking and he was like, you know what? I have nothing to show for it. I was always, you know, in this thing that I needed to have the newest car and the newest model. And, and all my money was going to pay cars. And cars don't appreciate. They do what? They depreciate. Which means the minute you take a car out of the dealer, it's already worth, they say, 5 to 10% less than what it was the day before. So cars depreciate. That's not a sound investment. Now, we need cars. But a home, like if you're going to get into debt, it's worth getting into debt for a home because it's depreciating. When the whole crisis happened, we lost our house. But we were able to buy a four-bedroom, two-and-a-half baths townhouse for 181 that's when everything was low. Right now, if I wanted to sell it, it's 325 So right now, I mean, we've lived in it, what, four years only? 
it's been four years and I've already made $160,000. If I decide to sell it, I could get $160,000 cash. It's a smart investment because properties go up. And God gives you the wisdom to buy it at the right time and the right moment. Number two, I want to talk to you a little bit about record keeping. Tell the person next to you, keep good records. Or at least have somebody in the marriage that keeps good records. The partner that's most organized and financially savvy should do this. But both, like I said before, should keep financial plans and be involved. This is something you got to sit down on the table and talk about. What are we going to do about our home? What are we going to do about this? What's our plan? Should we start saving? Look what Proverbs chapter 24 says. I'm going to read verse 3 and 4. Through wisdom, a house is built. Now, he's not talking about a house. He's not talking about four walls. He's talking about a home. He's talking about a relationship between a husband and a wife. How is that relationship built? Through wisdom. And by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So by knowledge, the rooms, you don't want to live in a house where all you have is the brick walls. Right? You're going to need to have stuff. And he says, by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You see, God wants you to be able to live well. How many say amen? amen? But we have to be wise. You will not have your finances under control unless you understand the basics of good record keeping. Less than two out of ten couples know how to balance their checkbook accounts. Two out of ten couples. They just ask, how much is in the bank? Maybe you're familiar with that. Instead of saying, how much is it going to cost us? They just say, do we have money in the bank? Oh, we have money? Oh, okay, we're going to buy. <laughs> and then they just go. And sometimes we make bad financial decisions because of that. We ignore where it went, where our money went, or how much of it went. Sometimes it's crazy just to see how much money we're spending just in food and eating out and little things that you don't need and how much money you could be saving and investing for your future. David Bach, he's a financial author that popularized the term that maybe some of you guys know, the latte factor. Have you guys ever heard of the latte factor? Yeah? $5 a day for a latte in Starbucks turns into $150 a month. A little under $2,000 a year if you get one every single day. This is actually what David said. If you put $5 away, those $5 that you're using to buy a latte at Starbucks or your favorite drink, if you put $5 every day away and buy stock, and that stock market appreciates at a 10% annual rate, which is not unrealistic, After 45 years, you'll have $1,593,340.26. The magic of compounding interest. But all we think about is $5 and a latte. And then we go and we don't understand that if we just live for today, and we talked a little bit about this instant gratification, right? And this is one of the things about our society. We just want to be satisfied today. And, and we get our money and we want to spend it. And, and even if you get a raise next week, you're already thinking before you get the first paycheck on how you could buy a bigger house and a bigger... Ah, and, and you're always going crazy. And you don't save for tomorrow. When I was single, my sister used to call me stingy. I was not stingy. What I was, I was a savior. Because like Carly said, you know, I'm a very disciplined and organized person. And I went to school. I, I graduated from FIU accounting in 2000, class of the millennium. And I remember 
that I would save. You know, since I got married later on in my life, I got married at 28 to beautiful Carla over here. Since I didn't marry so young, I was a professional already, graduated when I was 23 or 22, and I remember I would save a lot. And I got to the point where I saved about $20,000, $25,000, and I wouldn't splurge on anything. The only thing that I was splurging is in giving God my tithes, and I was generous with my offerings. Let me make that clear, number one, because that's the reason why God blessed me. And number two, I love having a nice car. I remember I used to have a 3000 GT. I used to love that car. That was in, when I used to drive crazy. I used to race every single car. I couldn't help myself. I mean, every time I would come to a red light, they'll start revving up their engines. And it's just a temptation came over me and I just had to race. But those are the two things that I would splurge on. Giving God, giving unto God, and having a nice car. Other than that, nothing. You know, I would save, save, save. And I was able to buy myself a townhouse. I never lived in the townhouse. I was still single. I rented the townhouse out for like two or three years to three different people. And after three years, I sold it and I made $100,000, which I've testified about this, right? So, you know, sometimes you're just thinking about yourself, but you, you don't realize that if you start putting money away and you start saving it, it starts compounding. And the day of tomorrow, you're going to be able to make financial decisions. You could buy a home or you could start thinking about investments. Amen. You got, got to be smart about this. So I want to finish off. Now you could come up, Marcus. Come on down or come on up. I want to finish by saying we need to get educated with respect to our money. Amen? Check this out. Most financially naive couples, it's not that they're stupid regarding money. Because some people say, oh, no, it's just not. It's, it's not that you're dumb. It's not that you don't understand. It's just that you're uninformed regarding money and regarding borrowing and interest and how things work. But because of this, we need to make sure that we are focused because money is a big part. And as you guys know, more than half of all the divorces have to do because of what? Disagreements about money. And it's not because they had so many and so much money that didn't, their disagreement and their divorce came because they didn't know how to spend it all. Mostly, it's because they had so little and it became a tension and it became a stress. And even though God will probably at some point in your life pass a married couple through a test of their finances, like it happened to us, you know, anybody could be prone to that. You could be doing all the right things and be in a situation where you're in debt and where you don't know. But you know, God is watching how we react. He's watching us to see what are the things that are important in our lives. If we stop hiding during that time, then God already, you already sent the message to God saying what things are important and what not. So God tests our faith. And when he sees faithfulness, you know what? God will prosper you. If he blesses the birds of the, of the sky, the lilies of the field, if he dresses them with such majesty and glory, you don't think God's going to take care of you, his most prized creation? So let's, be, let's do our part. Let's be savvy with respect to money. Let's get out of debt if we have to. And let's trust God and not worry about tomorrow. Let's not bring in too much stress in our marriage that we can't even enjoy the day-to-day -day things. Our kids are growing up and we can't even take time to enjoy our kids because we're busy about money. Where am I going to get money? How am I going to do this? And, or enjoying your marriage, you know. It, it's so important to do things God's way. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. Next week, we're going to be doing the Q&A, so I want to challenge you guys if you guys want to bring over here your questions or anything that we have covered or anything that we have not covered. 
that have to do with relationships. You guys can write them down and we're going to have a Q&A session next week. But we want to pray. We want to pray for couples today. We want to pray for single people. And I'm going to ask Carly to come over here. And I'm going to pray first and then I'm going to ask her, yeah, come on up. We want to pray for you guys.